Have you got any thoughts on what we ought to perhaps teach? Is there, is there your books, interesting as part of a comparative to you know, all of your, all of just and only your books. Oh, I see. Okay. And um, you just got me thinking, oh, Lucius Malfoy is going to be loving this. The fact that Weasley's got an inquiry over his head now because his idiot son nicked a flying car. Hagrid also pulls a little uh, little wind up here. He asks uh, he asks Harry for a signed picture. The perfect moment. Like, oh, man. <laughs> and then there's this little, <laughs> little smile. He's like, oh, he's got him. He's got him. Hello and welcome to episode two of Shark Liverall's read-through of... Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is the second book in the series, and it's the second podcast on the second book. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. Are you ready, Dave? I'm extremely ready for this, and I think I, I, we should note that we are this ready because having told everybody about six weeks ago that we were going to get the next podcast out next week, we are getting it out sometime later. Yes. I mean, I suppose if you just listen to them all after they've been recorded, whenever that is, it'll sound oh, like, yeah. oh, we're just, we're just sort of cracking on, you know, onto episode two, whereas it has been quite a delay. It's actually been quite a few um, quite a few weeks since I made these notes, so this could be an interesting <laughs> recollection. <laughs> Let's go test my memory. This is my favourite genre of Shark Liver Oil recording, I have to say, is the one where yeah. we've left it just enough that you don't have to redo the notes. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and and we just sort of get into it. Oh yeah, I absolutely let the cat out of the bag there, didn't I? Sorry about that. I've, I've shattered our carefully crafted image of podcast professionalism. Yes, of course. Now, if you want to sort of get get on board this uh, professional podcast, you can always um, send us an email: sharkliverollpodcast at gmail dot com, um, or you can get us on Twitter at Shark Live Royal. Um, there was a brief period where I was trying to tweet every day. And then I decided... I was a massive fan of that. Yeah, and I feel like it ought to be recorded as well that I had no part of that whatsoever. Like, you were, you were, you were giving it absolute massive guns. And I was just going, oh, that's funny. Matt's good at this. Yeah, and I just wake up. You, you know what it is. You wake up one day and you're like, what is the point? What am I doing oh, this for? <laughs> You were an existential. I thought you were going to say, I woke up one day and realised I just can't be funny enough for the shark today. But no, you went to, the world cannot be meaningful enough for the shark today. Last week, uh, last week, the last podcast we did, we did uh, chapters one to five. So um, this week, six to nine. It's not many chapters, but it's enough. There's plenty of action in this. And we start with a chapter whose name is it's one of my favourite characters, even though he's also one of the most despicable characters in the whole whole series. It's Gildroy Lockhart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> last scene, if you remember the the last episode, this is the guy who is the he's now the Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher, and he's somehow managed to swing it so like the almost the entire curriculum involves buying his textbooks now, which is just some which- kind of business genius. <laughs> It was extraordinary as well, and like the and we spoke, I think, last time about the the Hogwarts hiring procedure that leads not only to getting in somebody who's like all quiff, no brain, but then <laughs> apart from the aforementioned business acumen, of course, but then also goes now you new teacher to the school, this subject quite important, gonna save lives more than any other subject, um. Have you any thoughts on what we ought to perhaps teach here? Is there, is there a, your books interesting mm. as part of a comparative to 
They're all of your, all of just and only your books. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I well, he's confident, isn't he? I think we should. Yeah, let's give him. A, let's give it a year. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> if you only read one author, read this author. <laughs> if you only read all one of them, author. You better hope that it's this one that <laughs> saves your life. Yeah. Well, we'll see just how um just how much there is to this guy um as we sort of continue our introduction to him. Um, but we start off. He's nowhere to be seen. Um, we're at the sort of breakfast table. It's um, it's going to be a bad day for for HP. This um, Hermione is still disappointed in him, um, and and both of both the lads. Because remember, we left off. Um, they'd just done even for, even by their standards quite the caper um, in crashing <laughs> their uh, the car into the into the whomping willow. Um, basically, that's exactly the right Bundstad's word. Dad's car it. crashing it. Yeah, <laughs> caper. Yes, caper. <laughs> Absolute caper is what that was, and I appreciate. I like. I really appreciate the character of Hermione. I do think in the first couple of books, she kind of basically just gets assigned the task of being the the set like the the straight man, basically the sensible one. Yeah. Um, but um, I. <laughs> who amongst us wouldn't really have been with Hermione on this one? You drove a car into a tree. You. What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not the only one who's um, who's not impressed because uh, sort of the the family owl called Errol for um, for Ron sort of for the Weasleys comes crash landing into the um, onto the breakfast table because he's so old he can't land properly and um, delivers what's called a howler. We've not come across these before, but it's basically sort of a absolute beasting by. Um, <laughs> By by letter form, it's basically like projects this massive foghorn voice where Ron's mum basically gives him a massive dressing down in front of the whole school. <laughs> I love, I I just love this because to a certain extent, when you are, when, like, I I don't know, about it, maybe maybe not all kids have this experience, but the experience of being told off by your parents follows you around everywhere, I think, if you're a certain kind of kid. I'm definitely showing my colours here. But, like, but just that, like, it was it was very visceral. For saying it was it was definitely a prime it's magic type moment. Mm-hmm. Actually, for me, I was like, yeah, I can I can actually imagine exactly what it must be like to sit at, sit at a meal surrounded by your mates and then have your mum completely embarrass you for something stupid that you've done. Now, normally, the things I was being embarrassed for were probably bad, but weren't as bad as car theft and <laughs> nearly killing my best friend. <laughs> I think if you get away with an automated telegram telling you that you're quite a naughty boy, you've probably got away quite lightly there, actually. <laughs> I like the sort of little sort of 12-year-old selfishness of, of Harry here where he's quietly sinking into his chair just hoping that, like, that, that Ron's mum's kept She doesn't mention it. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I don't know what's going on with that Weasley ape. Eh? <laughs> the gingers. Oh dear, oh dear. In true to form, she kind of does. Like he doesn't get any of the cop any of the blame at all. In the same way that remember the in the last episode, where he got sort of broken out of the Dursleys' house and they all got they all got t- telling off all the kids, but he was sort of he, got he was wonderfully saved welcomed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not it's only like, that, he got like he got the red carpet treatment, didn't he? It was like Harry, yeah. how lovely you're here. It's so good that you're here. <laughs> And, and 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 like just the the fact that he gets that treatment, I think when I first read this, I didn't properly think about exactly how much that justifies how much 
uh, how much sort of stick he gets from from other kids. Yeah. Um, but and at the time, I was just like, oh, that's quite nice. That sort of counterbalances the fact that he's got a terrible life living under the stairs with with you know, <laughs> you know, Hertfordshire's premier tool salesman or whatever he is. <laughs> drills. But, um, drills. Drills. Not, there it is. Tools, drills. Just drills. Not also, it's only drills. He's not to be trusted with the wrenches, and we know that. Um, but um, but yeah, like reading this again, I was like, kind of no wonder he gets stick. Just look at what he's done, and everybody around him is getting getting like reamed out for it. But he yeah. gets away. There's a real world consequence here in that, like um, Ron's mum says, your dad's facing an inquiry, and um, you just got me thinking, oh, Lucius Malfoy is going to be loving this. The fact that Weasley's yeah. got an inquiry over his head now because he's because he's. Idiot son, yeah. Nicked a flying car. It's basically like rumbled his own dad, hasn't he? Um, and it's it must yeah. be um, if you sort of take a step back, it puts him in such a difficult position. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that performance review. Now, now you've been hitting targets, and obviously that's that's wonderful. Making sure Muggle artifacts are appropriately stored in almost every case. <clears throat> I'm afraid we do have to discuss the incident with the tree and the children, and the near death. That's a mark against. You know, like, I just, oh, but however, 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 I, I think that's an appropriate way for a, 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 the Ministry of Magic to respond. <clears throat> Which sort of makes it an outlier as regards the responses of the Mil- Ministry of Magic to the different things that happen through the course of these books. I know it's a sort of throwaway gag that, you know, his dad's in trouble now and ha 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 ha, that's awkward. But the number of things that have happened so far in this series and the number of things that are going to happen in the future about which apparently no investigation is called whatsoever <laughs> is glorious. I, I just sort of want to, wanna, I'm just going to start trying to run a list in my brain of things that weren't investigated which were considerably more serious than Mr. Weasley's car. Yeah, at the very top of the list is going to be the fact that this Borgin and Burke's place remains open like, for business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> traded in dark arts material. Exactly. No, we're all very worried about the dark arts, <clears throat> but they were grandfathered in, so I'm afraid there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some like there's some bylaw that means Borgen and Burks just gets <laughs> exempt. Like they're just tearing their hair out at the ministry, like, how can they stay open? This is so annoying. <laughs> it's making a mockery there's of the whole law. I can do. It literally says dark arts above the door, but my hands are tied. <laughs> Oh dear. So, um, okay, here we go. Here he comes. Uh, big Gilderoy Lockhart's about to arrive on the scene. He's um, they've the GL. Got, yeah, the GL. They've got double herbology. So um, they head down to the sort of greenhouse or whatever it is that they do the do their um, do the lesson. And just coming around the corner is Professor Sprout and Lockhart, who's sort of given her what appears to be unwanted advice on how to do a job. And even even says to the kids, you know, I, I'm not for I, I'm not. I'm not for one moment saying I'm a better herbology teacher than Professor Sprout. Um, and then sort of like pauses if it's like, you know, you can make your own minds up on that one. But, um, you know, I'm just offering <laughs> some advice. <laughs> it's, just, it's just friendly advice yeah. you might want to consider. Actually, I've written a book. Do you want the book? I've got the free book. There you go. Free. Well, I say free. Anyway, you take it. Pay me back when you, yeah, tomorrow, actually. Yeah, yeah just I hope it helps. Yeah, he has a he has a quiet word with Harry as well because he's seen, he's seen the papers. About, <laughs> this is great. This comes. He's like, oh Harry, it's all my fault. You know, I gave you the bug. 
Um, so sort of like after going after fame, of, of and, fame, yeah. And he's like, he's, he's like, I know what you're thinking. It's all right for him. He's an, already a world famous wizard, but you know, I'm still gonna make my way. It's like you need patience, boy. And it's just his misreading of what Harry's like is just delicious. It's just amazing. It is. It's really good, isn't it? Because it's it just sort of reinforces the the image of him as a, just a heroically self involved guy. This is like like raging narcissist who only can see other people's experience in the light of his own experience yeah. which I think so which is interesting because I was going to ask you earlier on why like see so you say he's one of your favorite characters also he's one of the most despicable characters in the in the in the series there are a lot of despicable characters in Harry Potter but actually I think that description of him I'm sort of there now I sort of see what you mean in that he's just like he he like he wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire, right? Mm. Unless there was a camera there, in which case he yeah. Yeah, his his personality is awful. I mean, it's it's so much fun just sort of like just enjoying him, like be like in, sort of enjoying hating him. But um, yes, it's also later on when you when you find out what it is he's actually been up to. Um, it's about it's about as bad as it can possibly get. Um, so, so he, yeah. he, he sort of personality flaws aside, um, what he actually yeah. does, um, spoiler alert yeah. later, um, is uh, <laughs> gives a, it makes a strong case for having him up there with Voldemort as like the worst guy in the entire series. But we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, this is where I fess up and say that it. I really am reading along with these books as we go, right? Like, I'm not reading ahead. Yeah. So I can't remember what you're talking about, and now I'm like, <laughs> "How dark is this? Like it's been it's been a while since I read this." So so I'm in, I'm in. Let's find out. So his comparison as well. A nice summary here is he talks about he sort of mentions the fact that he's you know Potter, Harry Potter's the boy who lived and like survived Voldemort. He's like, yeah. I know what I know what you're thinking. It's not the same as winning sort of which weekly's most charming smile five times in a row, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a start, you know. <laughs> in five years of a most charming smile competition how charming are the smiles on most wizards <laughs> oh yeah exactly yeah how uncharming are most wizards but anyway yeah so he he saunters off full of his own like self-importance and um and we go into the into this this sort of lesson they're dealing with what i suppose we're gonna have to call chekhov's mandrakes um, these are, yeah. <laughs> can we can we explain that for for anyone for anyone who hasn't um, hasn't had the joy of, of uh, listening to the other times where we've called on this particular example? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you, yeah, Chekhov's gun is a um, like a classic sort of uh, trope now, isn't it? It's the idea that um, is it is it was it? I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like if if a gun's written into sort of the first first act, it has to go off by the third act, something like that, isn't it? Yeah, 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 that's it. Like, if there's a gun on stage at the start of something, you know it's going to shoot somebody by the end of it. Yeah. And it's, it's all a way of, like, building tension. And, uh, yeah, you're 100% right. Chekhov's mandrakes, that's exactly <laughs> what these are. So these are things that can, um, if you pull them out um, of the pots, they're, they're like little plants with little sort of... Sort of well, at the moment, little babies on the end of them because they're, they're only little mandrakes. But um, they can cause paralysis if you hear them. But also we, we find out that you, they, they can also heal paralysis as well. Um, everyone's got these protective <laughs> headphones on. Uh, and there's one child who 
sort of doesn't quite manage to get them on properly and somebody manages to sort There's of get half paralyzed. Can you guess who it is? <laughs> <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Mr. Punchline. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Oh, just the just the ineptitude as 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 superpower. I just I, I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Even though the image of plants that are somehow also babies paralyzing a small child is it's on the darker side yeah yeah there's an interesting so that's never longbottom by the way who's um who's the paralyzed semi-paralyzed <laughs> kid um there's also a new character who appears here um so a new character ding ding it's Ooh. justin the guy called justin finch fletchley and he's quite interesting in that he's a bit of a sort of pastiche of a like um Upper class, eaten, yeah. Isn't he's he's sort of all full of sort of confidence and um, sort of kind of like way of the world, but also kind of clueless underneath it all as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, he's quite an interesting little sort of. He's he's never he never takes center stage, but he's always sort of in and around the story this time around. Yeah, yeah, because um, because you can't you can't go wrong putting an upper-class twit into your story for comic relief. That is definitely, that's going to work out. <laughs> I also think, like, just that casual, um, I don't know, in, he's sort of casually intimidating to someone like Harry because in the same way, yeah. if, like, someone from a comp goes to university and suddenly bumps into all these, like, people who've been to public school, there is a, a confidence yeah. that's actually quite unsettling when you when you sort of meet for the first time, regardless of sort yeah. of what they're like personally but um yes. i thought it's quite interesting um yeah we move on to transfiguration uh ron has sort of repaired his wand in the best way he can using i quite like this using speller tape and uh it's, <laughs> it's not very good i love the fact here like one of the students has got a wand that is practically exploding every time he tries to use it and he's not getting any help or bear in mind that <laughs> harry got a brand new nimbus 2000 when he decided he wanted to play quidditch ron's got a, a faulty wand and like no one on the teaching staff seems to care at all nobody cares and again, these things are also apparently very important things for children to practice with from the first moment of secondary education and also potential de- deadly weapons, right? Yes. And they're just like, well, I mean, it's exploding, but uh, he's a main character. Nothing bad is, bad's going to happen to him. It's quite, it's quite deft what um, J.K. Rowling does here, really, in that um, for large parts, especially in the early books, it's almost like, cartoons in that like you feel like anything can happen to these characters and it'll all be fine like no one's going to get seriously hurt no matter like whether the like, head mm. explodes or something they'll probably just grow a new one whereas once you get into the later books like life and death begins to matter and the fact that like harry's harry's parents have died is sort of a nod yeah. towards that early on but she juggles that quite well in that you, there's a feeling of safety around this sort of what is in its heart quite dangerous stuff but also, there's an underlying menace that sort of creeps up every now and then. Do you know what? I hadn't thought of that, but that's that's really true. That's a really hard balancing act to strike, right? Between like this is really dangerous and this is really funny, and making you believe in both of those. Hmm. That's fascinating, actually. I'm going to think more about that because I like sort of want to read it from that perspective now. Yeah. Um, we also see here sl- shortly after that Hermione's put a load of like hearts around the defense against the dark arts classes. If it looks like um, 
for whatever faults Lockhart has. It might be a bit of a blind spot for Hermione, this. <laughs> Most charming smile, sixth uh, year in a row. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, another uh, new character, Colin Creevy, pops up. This is a kid who's um, effective. He's like a little stalker. He just keeps taking pictures of Harry because he's, um, <laughs> he's just absolutely sort of starstruck and obsessed by him. Um, which is yeah. brilliant because he's taking the he's asking I think he's asking for an autograph and like it's just yeah. the perfect moment because Draco walks around the corner and is like oh giving out giving it autograph <laughs> selling <Potter."> this guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah I so it's really interesting because I find the Colin character like as he's supposed to be incredibly one dimensionally irritating like that's <laughs> what he's in the that's what he's in the story for but. I was thinking about this from the perspective of Harry and I think irritation at circumstances you can't change is quite a big part of being 12. Yeah. And I was thinking, I had a conversation with my brother about this and, and he was he was just sort of talking a lot about all these different kind of the emotional things that happen to Harry or the emotions that he feels are are all really truthful to the experience of being that age and just that sort of grinding irritation not like you know something happens oh it turns out he's great something else happens you know it's just this kind of constant presence of like you're really annoying me it just seems <laughs> just it just feels true yeah yeah and, and there's I, there's also there's, there's something kind of endearing about Colin as well and not annoying as he is he's kind of harmless and there's yeah. there's no like yeah. you know he, he's just He's just doing is, isn't he? He's but a minor irritant for uh, for Harry. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, so Draco arrives at the worst possible moment, and the other worst possible person to arrive on the scene of Harry giving out an autograph arrives shortly after, which is Lockhart. He's like, oh, he's giving out autographs already. Oh, it's he, been turned. He, he gives him. Um, he gives Creevy a double portrait. He gets like him, and he gets Harry in a like a. He puts his arm around him, and they get a picture together. <laughs> it's just class. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, it is class, and yes, it is really funny. But it is actually also the thing that is really creepy about Gilroy Lockhart is that he is exploiting Harry's fame to extend his own fame, yeah. which we has already been well established that he's like that. Yeah. And that's really important. That is a character in a kid's book, an adult character in a kid's book, using the main character who's a kid for their own ends, which is, that is the shape of abuse, you know, albeit it's just, you might say it's just arm around the shoulder, you know, like it's not, you know, necessarily harmful perhaps. But actually, like, portraying that, and portraying Harry being like, yeah, you, whatever, this idiot, you know, like, you know, kind yeah. of like not going along with it at all. It's really important, actually. Yeah, yeah. We get a, um, we never get a sense of what a Lockhart lesson is all about as well. Um, it's a, it's an example. Is it? Is it all about Gilderoy Lockhart? <laughs> yeah, you know what? There's, a, there's an element. There's, there's an element of that <laughs> to this. So he's, um, yeah. The, the, the first thing is an exam, which is questions all about him. Um, and I love one of my things I liked about this was uh, his his response to his ideal gift is harmony between all magical peoples, and it's so transparently like just something he's thought. I need to say something that sounds profound, and he's like he doesn't believe sounds it. Sounds deep, but yeah, yeah it just yeah, reminds yeah. me of. Um, it, I mean, this is years ahead of its time, but like all those like 
for like social media posts which are sort of quite sanctimonious yeah. and like so so shallow but um but it's, but a sort of meaning to sound important and sort of profound um he's a yeah. great example of that of that sort of of that sort of attempt exactly like co-opting something that matters a lot and making it matter make it like cheapening it by bringing it into by making it about you who matters yeah. much less part of your brand yeah, exactly. Like the only significance important things have in the world is so that they are again Lockhart narcissist, so that they are something to do with me, and that's yeah. the only way that anything has worth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We get an interesting insight into perhaps the limits of his actual abilities here as well, because he's got he's got some he's got some creatures to show the kids to like scare them, and he's picked Cornish pixies. Which, are like, which don't sound particularly intimidating. Um, he actually says in like a low voice as he as he draws back the curtain, "I must ask you not to scream." So he like reveals. <laughs> what teacher does that? <laughs> I must. <laughs> I must ask you not to scream. But he releases them. It's pandemonium in the class because they're basically just like these little like I don't know tear away delinquents um, in, in pint sized form and he can't like control them he ends up just leaving and leaves like leaves the class or Hermione and Mary to sort it out yeah. I, just, I love that I love like, it's just it's, it's, so, it's so satisfyingly inept isn't it that he literally like what he does is go we're gonna learn about something that's basically badly behaved children and they're going to be magically badly behaved children. And he's a teacher. And inside eight seconds, he's like, I can't hack this, I'm out. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. Later. I'm out. And uh, it's, again, like Hermione with the blind spot, she's like, oh no, he's just given us practical experience. I'm sure he could have done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay, chapter seven Mudbloods and Murmurs. Uh, we start with a dawn Quidditch practice. And this is, right, okay, here's where Colin comes in handy for the story because there'll be people who are reading Harry Potter 2 without having read Harry Potter 1 and don't have the faintest idea what Quidditch is. Well, Colin's here to ask all the questions that you feel too stupid to ask. So and, Harry basically is a, like a, yeah, a whistle-stop tour of Quidditch. And let's be real, you need that whistle-stop tour if you're going to have the slightest idea what's going on in this game because its structure is not logical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, they get a reminder of what happened in the last book as well. Like Wood, who's the captain, gives this big lecture about how, like, basically how much of a one-man team they are because Harry was missing from one game and they went down to the worst defeat in 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I was the captain at that point, I don't think the the topic of my talk would be Harry Potter and how we're all completely banjaxed when he's not around. <laughs> yeah. The fact is, he's a year seven as well. He was, anyway, last year. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the kid that joined the team in an unprecedented display of, of, uh, of, of skill for an 11-year-old? Well, anyway, yeah. you're all useless when he's not on the field. <laughs> I think we said in the last book, perhaps McGonagall sort of quietly engineered it so all of the Seekers have been sort of eased out of the team. So literally, like, yeah, presumably when Harry didn't play, you, they didn't have Have seeker. you considered embroidery, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Wood also says, you know, who's this taking pictures? Colin, by the way, who's this taking pictures there in the stands? It could be a you know Slytherin spy. Um, it turns out Slytherin don't need a spy because they've turned up on the pitch. Um, Snape's pulling one of his oh. little tricks, Dave. He's, uh, he's given them permission to basically nick the uh, training pitch because um, they need to test out the new seeker, which is Malfoy, because Malfoy's dad's born. Oh! <laughs> it's on! It's on! Now, I would call this behaviour by Snape an absolutely transparent and extremely unprofessional piece of behaviour, stepping outside the bounds of what a teacher ought to do if they're trying to ensure that sport is, you know, a learning experience for all. Except we do remember McGonagall basically just waving through Harry and Ron vandalising and stealing a car and (laughs) vandalising school property because it happened 12 hours before the start of term. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's so much sort of gamesmanship going on between these house like heads. There is. There is. I would. I would pay a lot for a sequel that was just like what was going on in the staff room at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's definitely some people not speaking to each other at the moment. Yeah, there's a, there's beef. There's, there's definitely beef. beef. Um. So yeah. So so Malfoy's dad's bought all the Slytherin team these new brooms, and um, Hermione says. Oh, you know, at least all the Gryffindor team got in on pure talent. Uh, she's put in a Ooh. quite a positive spin on on Harry's inclusion there. Um, sorry, referring to <laughs> pure, pure talent, yeah. nothing but talent. They looked at him purely because they always give the most important role to somebody that's just joined the school and has never played the sport before. Yeah, his dad was awesome. <laughs> ah, that's it. That's it. On pure talent. To a minimum of two generations in either direction. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this um, this jibe sort of uh, finds its mark because Malfoy responds really angrily and calls her a mudblood, which is um, which is one of we find out shortly after one of the worst things you can you can call a wizard. It's basically saying you're not a real wizard because one of your parents wasn't a wizard. So it's sort of mud mudded blood. Which is a, it's again a very yeah. sort of dark and grown up concept to sort of drop into this sort of knockabout um, yeah. argument over over a game. Yeah, very much, and of course it becomes important in the rest of the the story and this whole thing about um, discrimination based on ancestry. Um, you know, it's not it's not even really disguised. It's a discussion of racism. And mm. um, I think it's really important to discuss that. I've got to say, though, like your your description of that is absolutely accurate. And, and that's a bit of a problem for me, because what that means is the worst thing you can say to a wizard is that you're a different race and everybody's fine with that being a slur rather than being like, it's it's fine. You know, like the argument is she's as good a wizard as anybody and that's the whole point of the Hermione character right is that her parents aren't wizards but she's this incredibly talented um studious um wizard witch I suppose um but uh but but that's not like if you're a member of a, of a marginalized you know this is really heavy but it's the topic that's at hand right the argument isn't Oh yeah, well you know he, he is of not not the majority race, but but it's fine because it's because he's good at football. Basically, hmm. 
that's that's not the reason that somebody is okay. The reason that somebody is okay is because they are somebody, full mm-hmm. stop. And so there's a bit of, I don't know, I could, I could have stood to have that argument made a bit more forcefully here mm-hmm. rather than, rather than, well, yes, obviously it's bad to be a mudblood, but she's got merit, right? Which is kind of what it feels like a bit. Yeah, that's interesting because that explanation comes from um, Hagrid. He, Hagrid basically explains to them because they, they head over to to his hut yeah. because basically Ron tries to sort of stand up for Hermione and ends up cursing himself with his awful wand and he ends up vomiting slugs everywhere. But um, yeah, they go to see Hagrid and he sort of takes them through what this is. And I suppose um, his his uh, the, what gives the the author a bit of cover here is his Hagrid's character is quite clumsy in the way he would sort of um, grapple with that Solid. kind of thing. It's it's a bit of a it's yeah. a bit of a it's a bit of a copy if we're going to be honest, but it is it is a bit of cover that because Hagrid would probably explain this very heavy concept in the way that he does. So I kind of I kind of believe it. I agree with that. I, that is that is true to that character, and as you say, I think it is a bit of a cop out. But I, yeah, I, it's a really good point. Uh, Hagrid also pulls a little uh, little wind up here. He asks uh, he asks Harry for a signed picture. The perfect moment. Like, oh man. <laughs> and then there's a little, little smile. It's like, oh, he's got him. He's got him. I just, you, you do love that though. Like, a, like a well-executed wind-up <laughs> from your mates. It. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. Just to be like, hey, sign this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you start. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, it's detention time. Um, do you remember they, they've not got off completely scot-free from? For nicking a car and driving it into an ancient tree, they got a detention each. So the the punishment's coming down the line One. now. <laughs> <Detention>. <laughs> you fight the law, the law's gonna win. I'll tell you. One detention each. <laughs> so um, Ron's got to go do some trophy polishing with Filch. Uh, not not as <laughs> it's it's all it's all above board, um, and uh, <laughs> and Harry as a. It's pulled fan mail answering with um with Lockhart. <laughs> of course he has. Now, which would you Filch is horrible. Like not being in the same place as Filch is a win in anybody's book, right? But fan mail answering Gilderoy Lockhart's fan mail for him. I, again, I have questions about the detention policy at this school. Was there nothing else they could be put to more useful <laughs> than reinforcing this raging narcissist in his raging narcissism? Well, you've, you've got to ask some questions on the hold that this guy has over Dumbledore in the school. Because we heard, yeah. um, we hear from Hagrid that he was somehow the only person to apply for the dark arts jobs. He's managed to sort of scare off anybody else. Um, yeah. And he's he's managed to get the entire curriculum based on his textbooks. And now he's sort of deciding who does what detention. He's got the, the amount of yeah. power this guy's wielding is just incredible in the school. Yeah. Yeah, do you reckon he's got a timeshare somewhere, Sonny? And he's I'm, just gone to he's, he's he's gone to Dumbledore and been like, "Listen, I'm not joking. The whole of August, just have it, have it. Month in the sun." I reckon. I reckon he's got some dirt on Dumbledore. I don't know what Dumbledore's been up to, but Lockhart's got wind of it, and he's oh, like, "I mean, we await the release of further, <laughs> further Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them movies, don't we? In order to find out what exactly went down." So um, this this addressing envelopes goes just about as sort of as well as you'd imagine uh, between the two of them. Um, Harry sort of inwardly sighs his way through it, um, but towards the end 
he um, he hears this voice saying, "Come to me. Let me rip you, tear you." And mm. I mean, for a minute, you think he's, he's probably just his inner consciousness thinking, like projecting onto what he wants to do to Lockhart. But it's actually <laughs> some, something coming from outside. But no one else can hear it. Like Lockhart's like, "What are you on about? I can't hear anything." Weird. That, uh, that is dark. Mm. That is flipping dark. It's violent, isn't it? Jeez. It's very violent. I, I mean, I, I loved hearing... it when I, reading it as a child. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, this stuff's getting real now. This is, you know, <laughs> getting dark. Yeah, yeah, but as, we, as we've discussed elsewhere, you are a student of Stephen King, so, you know, that's, yeah. that's just, that's, that's, that's his fault. No, 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 you are right. Like, it definitely, again, it's, I think it, it brings me back to that point that you made about the tonal, sh- the, the way that the feeling moves and changes as we, as we, as we go through the, the, like, things happen next to each other, which ought to clash against each other, mm. but really, somehow really don't. And somehow all feel part of the same story happening to the same character, which which you buy and which you're invested in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's very deftly done. So um, we move to chapter eight, the Death Day Party. Uh, we're into October. Um, we, we often get these at the start of chapters when the seasons are changing. A little bit of sort of scene yeah. setting. Here you've got um, this this image of the fact that there's a there's a bit of a cold going around the school, and um, everyone's having this pepper up cold potion, which sort of fixes you it's basically like an extreme lemsip it sorts your flu out but leaves you smoking <laughs> at the ears <laughs> <laughs> right okay so you i i'm not sure whether you remember this but once upon a time a long 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 time ago i had a very bad cold hmm. and you were very sympathetic about the situation you were like why don't you have a hot toddy oh yeah and i i said what's a hot toddy and the look on your face as you realised you were going to be able to introduce me to this to this thing, which if people don't know, whiskey, honey, lemon, and hot water, and it is like bringing a flamethrower to a knife fight. It's just it just it just totally like it it just reinvigorates your sinuses. Um, if if indeed it's appropriate for you to be drinking whiskey, I should say. And I felt like this cure was that. Yeah. Was just this was a, I was I was found it very easy to sympathise with this particular this particular remedy being put in front of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hot toddy and presumably the pepper up cold potion. They um yeah they take out colds with extreme prejudice. They, just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they do <laughs> leave no germ behind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like it's it's yeah it, it's 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 pretty it's pretty effective. Uh, I mean, if if nothing else, if you have enough of them, you won't remember you've got a cold anyway. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we bump into. If you remember, nearly headless Nick. He's the the ghost of Gryffindor. Um, so called because such a weird ghost. <laughs> yeah, the, he he died. He was executed by beheading. But um, the guy that whoever did it didn't do a very good job, and he's still sort of got half his head. On Sashu's body, he wants to um, he wants to join this thing called the Headless Hunt, um, but obviously, on that technicality, um, he can't he can't join. I mean, to be fair, it's called the Headless Hunt. He's still got a head. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're on the side of the exclusivist aristocrats in this argument. Listen, I'd love it if you could, but you know, a head's a head. Hmm? Hmm? I think Nick makes the point. He's like, it's just a few sinews. I mean, what's a few sinews? <laughs> a 
that's what he said he is between snobs <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh dear so um the uh this the, we, we we then sort of move into a little little sort of side side plot in that um filch the caretaker comes around the corner and sees that harry's sort of walks a load of mud into the halls so he does sort of his sort of caretaker's arrest and like takes him to his office i, um, I love i love that he thinks he can do this i love that he's <laughs> like he goes directly to law enforcement about muddy <laughs> boots yeah. yeah i am the law yeah and harry goes into filch's office he's looking around and he sees these like this is great because this is referenced in the first book where um i think ron says oh yeah there's um rumors that filch like keeps manacles oiled up just in case like dumbledore decides to bring the old punishments back and harry goes into his office and looks up and he sees all these manacles just sort of hanging there ready for action (laughs) and it's true and again dumbledore as a very powerful being, apparently doesn't know that this is the man that he's got employed doing the cleaning. <laughs> I love her as well. Um, he's got these. He's, he's quite. Um, he's quite a sort of admin conscious. Filch. He keeps a form for every person who like who, who he does. Who he gets like who he catches. And um, yeah. Fred, Fred and George, like the Weasley twins, have got like a, a whole file just dedicated to them. Just <laughs> <laughs> constantly getting them. Law- lawful evil, isn't he, Filch? He's definitely yeah. he's done the he's done the paperwork. Yeah, uh, and he's re- he's re- he's sort of writing out. He's writing out. He's like name, crime, and it's like right down what the crime is. It's just yeah, he's, he, he he thoroughly <laughs> enjoys like person like sort of yeah, yeah being uh, law enforcement. Uh, yeah, exactly. And again, he is the caretaker. He's not security, right? He's not like defense against light-hearted whimsy he's just he's the caretaker and he's got forms with the word crime on them (laughs) now he rushes out to deal with something and harry realizes that's not all he's got in here he's got these um letters um which are basically a beginner's magic course called quick spell and suddenly sort of harry realizes hang on a minute is this can filch not actually do any magic and then mm. when Filch returns, he's like genuinely horrified. He's like, if you read my personal, not, not that it's mine, and then sort of shoes Harry off really yeah. quickly. But um, again, it's a nice bit of um, shading to to this sort of what, yeah. so far one dimensional character, isn't it? Yeah, 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 very much. <laughs> and it does open the um, the exciting possibility that in a later book, Filch is actually going to try and crack out some magic. Mm. And 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 I think you know a slapstick opportunity that clear is not going to be passed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, we'll have to wait and see. Plenty of plenty of time for him to have a go anyway. Um, if indeed he's he's learning magic, we don't know for sure what's going on yet. But um, yeah, he's certainly very suspicious around uh, <laughs> around uh, sort of who who this who this these forms belong to. Um, Oh, it turns out that the the reason Filch left was because Nick, nearly headless Nick, was trying to cause a distraction. He put um, Peeves the poltergeist up to drop in his cabinet. So basically, he's done this favour for Harry. So Harry feels obliged to say he's going to come to the um, to his five hundred <laughs> yeah. death day party. It's basically 
your birthday party, but for the day that you die. Nick's, Nick's celebrating 500 years since he died this week. So um, Harry's going to go along to it to sort of show his face. It's basically like a celebrity endorsement. Nick's like, oh, if Harry Potter turns up, it's going to be off the hook. I'm going to love it. <laughs> I find it very interesting that this book was written, as far as I know, before J.K. Rowling became famous, right? Mm. Like it, because Harry, the Harry first Harry Potter book wasn't. This was the book that was the huge smash, and then everybody yeah. went back and read the first one. So it's so interesting that fame is something that is part of the story so much, you know. Yeah, no, it is interesting. Yeah, and sort of because it, it is it is part of the first book, but it's more. I think the the fact he's famous um, is kind of overshadowed by the fact that he's just trying to get to grips with this whole new like world yeah. that is encountered um whereas yeah. i guess yeah once you get to book two he's now kind of comfortable <clears throat> or as, as comfortable as he's going to get in the magical world and now he's dealing with yeah. this other sort of overriding sort of issue which is unusual for a child this age to yeah. go through um yeah yeah so we head back to the common room Fred and George are messing about with a salamander for some reason. I just love that in the background. That's going on. Um, <laughs> what could possibly go? So, check off salamander, Matt. It's what we've got there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Harry realises that he's going to have to miss the, the Halloween party so he can go to Nick's death day party. Um, and he's gutted because there's a, a troop of dancing skeletons that have been booked to sort of... <laughs> to sort of entertain the kids <laughs> I love that because it, it sounds a bit like like every kind of not great kids entertainment but because it's magic it's probably going to be it's actually great <laughs> yeah it's actually going to be dancing skeletons yeah. <laughs> instead of somebody in a white t-shirt with the blue back bars painted on it with a, with a flipping with a black magic marker <laughs> so um, they head to so so they, the the day comes around. They they can't go to the Halloween party. They've got to go to this ghost party instead. Um, I do like out. that Harry follows through on this. By the way, I mean I know it's the setup for the thing, but this is this is again a nice little character note in that he doesn't just say yeah sure or whatever I'll come, but like he likes Nick, so he's like yeah all right I'm gonna have to miss this thing I'm really looking forward to, but I said I would, so I will. Yeah, he doesn't cry off. He doesn't sort of go back to him and go, oh, I didn't realise it's the same night as the yeah, Halloween sorry, party. I've, I've promised I'll be there. Yeah, it'd be easy. It'd be so yeah. easy for him to get out of it if he wanted to. But he's, um, yeah. yeah, he's following through on it. It, is, it does say a lot of his character. Um, and also the fact that this party is dreadful and he's still, like, sticking it out. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, one of the guests of honour is Moaning Myrtle, who um, we encountered in the... Did we, have we encountered her already? Was that the first book? I'm getting mixed up now. Um, I don't think we have, um, have we? This is, is this our no, first introduction no, to no. This is this is the introduction of Moaning Myrtle, oh. and it. I mean, she lives. She she doesn't live up to a name. She doesn't live down to a name. She lives at her name. Yeah. That's where Moaning Myrtle lives. <laughs> um, the food is like it's just all rotten food, and it's because this is quite an interesting idea. Like the ghosts sort of float up to it and then like pass through it and try to sort of get a sense of what it would taste like because they can't actually eat anymore um and yeah. the more pungent the flavor the more they kind of they can taste something so it's sort of like sort better of to be like, yeah yeah that reminded me of um it was sort of the reverse version of um did you ever see the casper the movie casper oh yeah which I, it like came out when we were kids but one of the things that was in that it was like it was one of the first films that had like 
computer-generated effects, and it was of these three ghost characters, and one of the things it showed them doing was eating, and then, of course, you can see the food moving through them and, like, (laughs) pooing out on the floor. And that, I mean, that brought the house down when I saw it in the cinema. Man, people were just all about that. Um, And there's a really interesting sort of reverse version of this. It's not that they're picking it up and eating, it's that they have to kind of float over this, you know, (laughs) mostly decomposed food already. Yeah, I got a real strong sense of um, with this sort of sense of sadness or inability to experience life anymore yeah. or to influence it. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a lot of the um, of Christmas Carol when you sort of the early part with with Jacob Marley, where like then you see all these ghosts. Oh yeah. Um, this uh, yeah, it's quite a. It felt like quite a sort of Victorian, um, like classic idea of what a ghost. What a ghost, of, a of ghostliness like. and, yeah. and of, of like what what is taken away from you when there's no longer life mm. is the things you enjoy. Yeah. I yeah, mean really interesting. I mean Peeves is a good example of sort of making the most of what you've got. He's loving it. He's loving being a ghost. He sort of doesn't seem to <laughs> doesn't seem to miss any of the sort of living stuff. He can just cause as much chaos as he can and that as I expect that Peeves enjoyed these sort of things in life. And, and he really, was alive. Yeah, he's and he's discovered. <laughs> yeah, the sort of the stuff he wasn't bothered about anyway, he can't do anymore. But the stuff he liked to do yeah. that he couldn't really get away with, now he can do as much as he likes. So it's sort of it's funny that like, he's quite an interesting inversion, and that's sort of like the ghost part really suits him, like his character <laughs> compared to everybody else. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Like he just so happens to have been the sort of character that really suits death. Whereas everybody else is just a bit sad about it. He's like, this is amazing. All I wanted was to be able to mess people about with no consequences. And look, poltergeist. <laughs> All right, here comes the nearly, here comes the, oh, if only it was the nearly headless hunt. It's the headless hunt um, galloping through the doors. Um and they're all sort of this is this is quite good because the the headless hunt arrives and immediately sort of pulls all the attention away from poor Nick whose whose party it is and suddenly everyone's yeah. sort of just loving like the fact that these guys have arrived and this the sort of the head the sort of like um, the leader of this group he's like really charismatic. Uh, and like annoyingly so it's like oh he's it's one of those like oh. It's so annoying that everyone can't help but sort of flock around him. Um, Harry tries his best to sort of big up Nick in his own way, yeah. Um, but it all comes across as like faintly sort of ridiculous, and um, yeah, and yeah, it's again it's some sort of adult, um, like grown-up relationship themes coming into into this sort of kids' book. Yes, yeah, 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 very, very much. And and you do feel for Nick, don't you? Like, just the experience of being at his own party and being upstaged by these people who he's invited because he wants to be their friends, even though they've no intention of being his friends. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the worst part is that Nick starts doing his speech and they start a game of head hockey in the... Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, it's poor form, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, would you like to join in, Nick? Oh, you can't, oh... <laughs> Oh, that's sad for you. Uh, Harry can stand no more of the sadness, and um, and the group slinks away into the corridor. He feels like he's kind of done. His, he's done enough. He's tried his best. Yeah, he's um, he's he's shown his face. Yeah, he's shown his face. <laughs> Made an appearance. 
Um, they're heading back and Harry hears this voice again. He, again, he's the only one who can hear it. And they, they follow it and they end up with... Uh, they basically end up at the scene of a crime. Mrs Norris is sort of on her back, all falls in the air. And uh, there's, a, there's some graffiti on the wall saying, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. Uh, starting with cats, presumably. And I started with the pets and the air is coming for the rest of you. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the uh, to Slytherin's coming out party. He kills the cats. <laughs> it's like, first the cats, then... He's <laughs> sitting around, we need to make a statement. <laughs> we need to go big. I was thinking Dumbledore, bigger than that. <laughs> Norris <laughs> that cat's going down no, no, not Norris you're off the chain, you're off the hook I want no more part of this, it's evil <laughs> yeah, so someone, someone's at it in for Norris um, I mean, presumably Norris has made a few enemies this cat's been shopping <laughs> kids <laughs> to filch for, ah, for years that's true. <laughs> that's true, he's a stool cat <laughs> you can imagine like the like detectives arriving to find out like what's happened, like saying to Phil, does she have any enemies? <sighs> well, <laughs> <laughs> well I'm not gonna say enemies, nemeses, perhaps. Um, as this <laughs> enemies as stand- is nowhere near strong enough a word. <laughs> yeah, as they're standing here at the scene of the crime, Drake. I think Drake or Malfoy is. Does is he one of the all time great sort of sixth sense ability to sort of appear just at the right moment to deliver a killer line. He always seems to just appear on the scene at the right moment. He does love a killer line. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, I think that's definitely the most positive way of spinning the role Malfoy has in this story. Another way of putting it would be he's the arch nemesis whose only purpose is to turn up at the worst possible moment. Again, Malfoy! And this time he he turns up and says, "You'll be next, Mudbloods." Um, just again doubling <laughs> doubling down on uh, doubling down on the use of that word from uh, from Malfoy. Well, yeah, again, it's the, well, it's the fact that he feels he can use it with impunity shows sort of yeah, his sense of privilege yeah. again, isn't it? Well, yeah, and and well, and that that regardless of my feelings about how you know how it's explained that phenomenon of somebody being privileged and wealthy enough for generations to believe that other people don't matter and that they can they can speak of them as dismissively and violently as they please we just know that that's true like and that's and that's that's there's is that's the shard of ice at the heart of this it's not the dead cat that's the really kind of shocking and unpleasant bit of it it's that mm. that said a bit like why does he say this like oh, something really threatening has happened that's going to be plainly going to be treated really seriously and a cat is dead. I'm going to be publicly delighted about this. I don't see how that could possibly play against me in any way. Like, what's he thinking here? <laughs> I think he's just excited, if I'm honest. And just he, excited he, he, about and chaos he, and evil. Yeah, yeah he, well, he knows, a bit, he knows a bit of the sort of legend of this Chamber of Secrets, it, it turns out later. And I think he's mm. just sort of, he's putting two and two together here, thinking, well, enemies of the air um, mm. are sort of, it turns out, you know, 
if if that is if that if that phrase is true then um yeah sort of it would it would follow we find later that uh perhaps people who have sort of who who aren't pure blood wizards could mm. be in the firing line interesting interesting and he's very excited about that the, the fact that i mean just just to stick in this for one moment the fact that this kid is wandering around throwing this word about like willy-nilly and yeah. none of the teachers are dragging him over the coast for it. It's yeah. another like, cause for like, what's uh, going on at this school, really? Yeah, well, and, and again, though, I would describe this as being closer to the truth than mm. some of the other ways in which it just doesn't make any sense the way the teachers decide things. But yeah. again, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, you know, if somebody's got, like the combination of privilege and shared blind spot can absolutely add up to, um, yeah, to this. Um, yeah, yeah, this is just, that's just social realism for me. Let's move on to the final chapter for tonight. Number nine, writing on the wall. So, um, it's been a bad term so far, let's be honest, for, 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 for Harry. He's, uh, he's now yeah. implicated in... Because he's been playing at the scene of this crime. Um, all the teachers show up, Filch's reaction is suitably, you know, horrified. Um, it's It turns out that uh, we, we find out now that the, 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 the cat isn't actually dead, it's been petrified. And um, it's quite funny because Lockhart sort of shows up first and immediately misdiagnoses it. And then as soon as that is corrected, he's like, yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what Yeah, no, no, you actually, no, very good. I sent you a test there and actually you uh, you passed it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just continually layering on this, like, this guy isn't all he's, all he's sort of cracked up to be, is he? Yeah. To, uh, to quote the recent film Glass Onion, in which a, a character is described at one point with absolute disdain as a vainglorious buffoon <laughs> that gilderoy lockhart colon vainglorious buffoon that's what these scenes are for he also utters a line here which has become a really popular meme which is he says um when he thinks when he thinks she's died the cat's died he's like oh it was this particular curse it's such a such a shame I wasn't here earlier because I knew the very counter curse that could have saved her. <laughs> and, um, and it's just there's loads of pictures online of like various like bad things happening in like in fiction or in the world and like beneath it like black eye going. That's a shame I wasn't there. I knew the very counter curse that could have fixed this. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But of course he hasn't and doesn't. Um. Filch immediately points the finger at Potter because he says he's he's gone after my cat because he knows that I'm a squib, um, which is basically uh, we find out sort of someone who should be able to, like you would expect, be able to sort of do magic, should be a wizard because of his the parents, but actually they can't do magic, and that's what Filch is. Mm. This is why he's got his sort of quick learn oh. magic for beginners book. Yeah, although that's, I mean, he's quite old, right? Like, how many of these other things has he tried? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, maybe, I expect there's a new one of these every every few months, though. Like, do you know, like, in the Actually, same, you know, in the same yeah, way, that's like, true. weight loss programs or learn yeah, a new yeah, language yeah. software, the new one comes out every, every couple of years and everyone tries it again. Yeah. So this accusation is made, and immediately... Because Snape and McGonagall are in the room, and they immediately assume the expected roles. Snape steps up as sort of 
chief prosecutor and starts cross-examining Potter. Potter. <laughs> yeah. I believe Potter's not being fully truthful. Um, and McGonagall immediately does sort of case. <laughs> so, sorry, defense. can we just pause? How long have you had that Alan Rickman impression in your locker? And can we have more of it every episode, please? Ah, uh, no, it's, it's not. It's not that good. It's, it, it's, uh, it's very kind of you to say, but um, you should see some of the impressions like on online. Um, it's just <laughs> incredible. But uh, yeah, Snape suggests. I love this. He's always got the sort of like he's always looking for an angle. It's like maybe we should throw him off the Quidditch team while we work out what's uh, what's going on. <laughs> That's right. What if? <laughs> What if, and I'm just thinking aloud here, just picking up the first example that springs immediately to mind. Quidditch? No Quidditch? We're all agreed. No, brilliant. No Quidditch for you, Potter. Potter. <laughs> Presumably, next up is like, at least let's dock him some points, you know, even on his temporary. Yeah, or, or, and I would settle for this, give Slytherin the points that are docked. Yeah. Maybe. Easy. Is that that Double easy? Up. Double so punishment. Easy. So easy. Yeah. Maybe we should, yeah, give some points, some, some points to, to Slytherin. Well, I don't know. Easy. So easy. I'm thinking... So sim- <laughs> Simple, simple, simple solution. Sure. Think about how good it would be, though. So easy. So easy. So easy, Albus. Come on. Easy. Easy. Come on. <laughs> anyway, McGonagall's there giving case for the defence, um, putting forward all this mitigation, desperately trying to get... Potter off again. <laughs> like the cat had often been mean to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just ex- accepting that he did it. We don't know which air he's talking about. I'm not, I'm not saying he did it, but if he did, it looks like it was in self-defense. I'm going to say <laughs> that. Like it was in self-defense. All the facts add up to the idea that the cat definitely deserved it. So <laughs> this cat was basically asking for it. But, um, it was a bad cat. Everybody, yeah. bad cat. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dumbledore sort of sides with McGonagall here. It's like he sort of buys the, the the sort of mitigation and that you know Harry probably isn't responsible for this, or at least we don't know what's happened. I mean, to be honest, the the accusations are it's sort of you're making quite a jump to say it's Harry's fault. This, um, yeah. And luckily, as we said at the start of this podcast, um, there is a there is a creature. Knocking about. That's uh, that's just the job to fix a petrified cat. So, good news for Chekhov's mandrakes. <laughs> this is by some distance the most nice fate for Chekhov's mandrakes, isn't it? That mandrakes could possibly have, uh, what what the mandrakes could possibly have done, and it turns out to be resurrecting a cat. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. You, you, you were thinking maybe they'd have been bred for a slightly more important purpose, but, you know, if you're a pet lover, this is important, Dave, you know, just because we don't have a yeah, cat I, each. This is, this absolutely. Is <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm given to understand. Uh, Lockhart says, oh, I could uh, I could brew up a potion to sort of help, and immediately, like, Snape's, like, looking over, like, get your tanks off my lawn, Lockhart. I've already seen you <laughs> acting up with <laughs> Professor Sprout, <laughs> not having any of this. <laughs> <laughs> and you would pay good money, wouldn't you, to see that death stare? Yeah, just yeah. To, just Snape being like, no, 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 no. You can try that greenhouse botherer all you like. <laughs> Step <Yeah>. off. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I get, I get the feeling that yeah, no one really takes herbology particularly seriously. It's like, oh, let, let him do what he wants down there, but you're not coming anywhere near potions. This is real stuff. This is actual <laughs> stuff. <laughs> this is art and science and everything. <laughs> everything, everything to understand. This isn't. This isn't magical gardening. This is serious. This is magical gardening. <laughs> this is magical cookery. <laughs> Um, anyway, all this to say that um, as this argument, all these arguments are going on, um, Harry and his friends are like decide that it is it's a good idea just to sort of keep this. I've been hearing voices, and that's why I turned up at the scene of the crime. They decide to keep that to themselves, which is yeah. all this kind of, kind of this this is it, this is this is why sort of Harry comes so close to getting done, getting sort of getting pinched for this. Yeah. It's because yeah. the one thing that kind of is, is his alibi or his explanation is the thing he can't really is is even more troubling, and <laughs> is definitely going to get him in just as much trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I couldn't possibly have stolen that car, officer. I was stealing a plane at the time. Like that's just not gonna. That's not the defence you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. So um, obviously, this is like the talk of the school now, um, and everyone's talk, sort of talking about the uh, who the heir of Slytherin is and uh, what it means. Um, You'd love for- it if it was Colin, wouldn't you? <laughs> just the, the crowd parts, <laughs> yeah. and there he is at the back, what autographed a book. Dangling loosely from his suddenly crooked fingers. <laughs> you all laughed. You all laughed, but it is I. <laughs> <laughs> um, it turns out this this graffiti isn't going anywhere. Like Filch is doing his utmost to get it off the wall and it won't won't budge. So it's it sort of remains up there as this kind of like creepy warning to all students walking past it. Um, it's caused it's causing like quite a lot of tension amongst the kids. Like uh, Junie Weasley, the youngest Weasley, is really upset, and um, this just since Finch Fletchley chap. Um, every time he sees Harry, he just like runs off because I think he's um, he might be from like a half half blood family as well. I think he, I think because he was going to mm. go to Eton, so he thinks that like he's bought the line that Potter's like after people who aren't sort of <laughs> pure bloods. So he's just every time he sees him, he makes a run for it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is that. I imagine it is like it's the Wilhelm scream, and then he just takes off. And- <laughs> um, we get another, like just a little line here, uh, just a, a really sad indictment to what the sort of the subject of history of magic has become. They write in a three foot long essay on the sort of like three I think it's some foot. like the medical assembly of wizards or something. Yeah. The medieval assembly oh. of wizards, yeah. yeah. Imagine your output being... Well, I mean, but this is like measuring output by length of... By, like, number of pages, right? Yeah. And then with the... <laughs> there was a moment in our education where everybody worked out that you just bring the margins in and make the text bigger. and be like, there you go, <laughs> yeah. four pages. Two sentences, four pages. There you go, that's done. Mark that. Um, Professor Bins is going. Uh, who's the, the sort of the, the history teacher? Is going through a um, unprecedented is like level of interest in his subject because obviously everyone wants to know about the Chamber of Secrets and this is this is history. So suddenly yeah. everyone's like, oh, it's history of magic. Yeah, it's oh, like, it's we've like stuff got somebody around for that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he gets questioned in class, and he won't really. Answer. It's funny this because he's like. 
it's like it says it's just all rumors and won't answer but you can see he's like he's secretly loving it that he's actually getting some attention and he can't help himself <laughs> milking the mystery yeah. well obviously it's very difficult to tell you about it in some detail yeah so ask he, me again <laughs> <laughs> so even though it's a bit of a like fable or tale or like myth he he decides he sort of he sort of he, he reconciles his ideal only in fact with his, I quite like the fact I'm getting a bit of attention here, by saying, well, I'll just tell you what we know. Here are the facts of it. And he says, there's facts. this like, yeah, here comes a here comes a fact bomb. He says, there's a, there was basically a split between the people who, like the, the four founders of Hogwarts. Um, can you guess which one of the founders split off from the rest? Um, <laughs> it, was, it was Slytherin. Tell me, tell me it was Hufflepuff. I'm, I'm on board with that. <laughs> tell me it was Hufflepuff. OG evil. Hufflepuff. Who's the heir to Hufflepuff? (laughs) Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) Yeah, Hufflepuff wanted to do like extended breaks or like. Hufflepuff wanted to have double double putting your feet up lessons every Thursday. (laughs) Wanted to have like marijuana dispensers in the corridors and stuff. Ravenclaw took a dim view of it and there's a massive split. They were not on board. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um it was it was Slytherin. And it was over who which students were allowed in. And basically um Slytherin just wanted the quote pure bloods in and the other three were like, Come on. <laughs> Come on, this is Don't, don't be such a massive racist. But <laughs> yeah. we'll still run a school with you, that's fine. Yeah. Salazar, this, this Again, is... again, realistic. <laughs> this isn't barbecue this this is sixteen fifty two or whatever it was. <laughs> Things have moved on. <laughs> listen, listen, you're behind the times, alright? Yeah. So Slytherin sort of wasn't happy about getting outvoted, but it's said that he created this hidden chamber um on the sly. Uh, and that his heir would be able to open it and purge the unworthy, um, basically by releasing some kind of monster into the school. I mean, this is all pretty, this is all pretty extreme yeah, stuff is. from old um, house founders <laughs> Slytherin here. Um, yeah. But yeah, once, once we get into wars, the really like juicy stuff with the monster and the chamber and the purging, uh, Ben shuts it right down. He's like, that's enough of that. This is all getting a bit too tasty for me. <laughs> like, back to the medieval council of wizards or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great, it's such a great image of like, as if there's a history teacher in the world that doesn't secretly love teaching the juicy bits. Yeah. And just like, this is the history teacher who's like, kind of, listen, it's very important that we, we study the impact of currency. All right, so, page five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, it's like, Dumbledore, he's the best you could do for history of magic. <laughs> of all the ghosts, of all the many, many centuries that have passed, of all the people who've died, he's the best you could do. Why? What do we think is is like like elsewhere in the wizarding world? What is it that's keeping the talented people away from Hogwarts as teachers? Like, why is it that you get this complete bunch of no marks and also random to turn <laughs> up and make decisions like this? Yeah, it is not a good comment on like on the teaching profession, Hogwarts, is it? Because the, the, no, the standard of teaching is of... poor. Um, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't speak for Sprout, um, but I mean, 
she's not instilled confidence. I've not she's not been outstanding so far in this book anyway. Um yeah, you got Lockhart because no one else would take the job. You got this this guy. There's a there's a um there's like a seeing into the future teacher who pops up later on who's an absolute glare. I'm just wondering like yeah. what are the paying conditions that Dumbledore's offering? Because it must <laughs> yeah. be absolutely this is exactly rock bottom. It. Yeah. This is it's, it's either it's absolutely rock bottom or there's like we know that in the in the wizarding world there's a number of small businesses in Diagon Alley. There's <laughs> there's the Ministry of Magic, there's Gringotts Bank, there's um Hogwarts. But uh, there must just be some like uber corporation somewhere that's actually employing all the talented wizards. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so all that's left over is the people who are willing to turn up to, to Hogwarts for the history. That's it. I reckon he's like Dumbledore's just got a bit complacent. He's like, yeah, but it's Hogwarts. Yeah. You know, everyone will always want to teach you. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but you, you, you pay like, his way back. No, it's Hogwarts. People Hogwarts. Will still just come. Come here come for the name. Yeah. Come for the name. Look, look and, then, at and have you not noticed who you've employed? <laughs> like, you're not, you're not getting the cream. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the cheese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, look at you had as look at you had as defense against the dark arts teacher last year. It was basically a cream cheese sandwich in a turban. <laughs> Just rubbish. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> God, what your game? Oh, Amazing. Mm. Amazing. Anyway, it's what we've got. It's what we've ended up with. Sorry, Harry. It's a good job it's not a fee paying school, is it? Maybe that's it. It's, it's not fee paying anymore. Not a fee-paying school. That's it. It's amazing. <laughs> There have oh, been cutbacks, all right. Yeah. Cutbacks have occurred. Yeah. So um, the 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 sort of our our heroes have a chat about this, like new information about Slytherin, about who the um, who the heir could be. Harry's sort of thinking to himself, well, you know, all this talk about me being the heir, maybe I could be, and I just don't know it because you know the sawing hat wanted to put me in Slytherin, and I just sort of overruled it because I'm Harry Potter. So <laughs> no. It could be, you know, it could be, it could be Harry. Um, so that's that's one sort of potential. That would be a dark outcome, but of course, that being a potential outcome, that is, that's the that's the, the that's the central drama, isn't it? Is mm. Harry actually evil or not? Yeah. And again, that's quite a thing to place at the centre of your story like this, right? Yeah. This central character I'm asking you to sympathise with are they actually terrible? Again, it's very, it's really clever because it's a, it's just such a central part of growing up as well, isn't it? One of the things like every yeah. sort of child and certainly teenager, or teenager grapples with as you grow up is like, am I am I all right? Or, you know, am, am I all right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a real central question to yourself when you're sort of going through that period of your life. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's very very cleverly done. The the, the return to the crime scene and have a look at. Um, have a sort of see if they can find any clues and they see the scorch marks about and some spiders scuttling away um this is interesting at this point only so far as just to, to sort of point out that ron is a massive me. arachnophobe he's just terrified of spiders um which we find out um they also see that there's there's all this water on the floor because there's, there's a big leak in the girl's bathroom there was a girls' bathroom section in the in the first book as well. There's always like trespassing into girls' bathrooms that happens in these. But um, one of the other things to see at the crime scene is that there's there's this pool of water outside what turns out to be an, an out of order girls' bathroom, and they go for a little shifty around that and uh, bump into 
Morning Myrtle, the the ghost that they saw at the um, at, at nearly headless Nick's party, just as they're sort of trying to get to the bottom of what's going on, um, Percy, the prefect, like the eldest brother of the Weasleys, mm. catches them, and he's sort of like he nearly faints with horror that like his little brother is he's just caught his little brother wandering about <laughs> in the girls' toilets, and, and he he does the he does the unthinkable, he docks five points from Gryffindor. And like oh. it's like for, for Harry and Ron, it's like jaws on the floor, like the ultimate betrayal. It's like sell out, <laughs> yeah, sell out. <laughs> McGonagall's not going to be happy either when she gets ears about this. No, she's going to be listen, listen here. That's for me to do, or generally not actually do in the yeah. end. <laughs> I've got Slytherin prefects docking points all over the place. I don't need you at it as well. You're supposed <laughs> to be get on side, would you? <laughs> We all play for the team in Gryffindor. If you don't like it, you're getting busted down to non-prefect. Listen, this is a mafia operation, right? Nepotism is the name of the game, and you will play that game. Yeah. Uh, so they retire to the to the dorms, and they have this chat about um, who they think could possibly be the heir to Slytherin. And they're knocking about the idea of the number one suspect, Malfoy. Partly because they just hate him. Partly, I think partly because secretly <laughs> they kind of love it if he was, because like then they yeah. sort of just oh yeah, absolutely. What if all my dreams came true and he was the worst person in the universe, the way I feel he actually is? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. But they 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 they're sitting around. They're like, yeah, maybe it is him. And we just wouldn't it be amazing if we could find out and get him to confess. And they hatch this plan, which basically involves him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a plan it's a scheme it's, it's a caper a is what it caper. is it's another caper the capometer has just gone right the capometer has exploded <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they've um, they're talking about the plan the plan is basically disguise themselves as people from Slytherin somehow the capers the caper <laughs> somehow Sorry. gain access to the Slytherin dorms sit down with Malfoy and get him to confess that he is the heir to Slytherin. <laughs> and this is... <laughs> go on. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? It's just, it's just layer on top of layer. Yeah, this it's has got... caper cake. <laughs> this has got... Caper cake. This has got shades of saving the dragon all over it, hasn't it, from the first book. It's <laughs> such a complicated plan. So so many things have to go right at the same time for this to work, but this is this yeah. is the plan they've got anyway. Um, it's not quite as ridiculous as it sounds because there is a potion you can brew, which basically turns you into someone else in terms of the sort of your appearance. Um, it's called a polyjuice potion. Right, but it doesn't make you any good at asking smart questions designed to draw out of your contemporaries cunningly what they've actually done that might be something close to a war crime, right? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Very much not. (laughs) And also, um, the recipe to brew this thing, obviously this thing isn't sort of like, the recipe for it isn't widely available because... It could create havoc in a school. <laughs> because in a school, my goodness. But, you know, if you know who to ask, you can get your hands on it. You basically need a teacher to sign the book out. And they're looking at each other like, there's no teacher stupid enough to sign that out for some kids, though. Oh. Hang on a minute. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> 
I get the feeling a five-time which weekly's most charming smile winner <laughs> is about to re-enter the tale when we return for episode three. Oh, what a place to leave it! What Absolutely tantalising prospect. Yeah, um, good section. Good section, yeah. I'd say. Again, it's moving yeah, yeah, at a pace. Yeah, yeah. Interesting themes. Interesting things, kind of woven through it. Lots of. Lots of light, lots of shade, and uh, yeah, and 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 caper on top of caper. Yeah, that's a great cliffhanger potential, like yeah. dragon level caper on the way. The next part, we're going from chapter ten, obviously, to chapter fourteen. Um, fourteen being, bring it up. Ooh. It's called. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna love this. It's the chapter after the Polyjuice Potion, so we're gonna get, we're gonna get yeah, a bit right, of okay. Polyjuice case capers. Chapter fourteen is called Cornelius Fudge. So read up to and including that chapter. Cornelius and, Fudge. Uh, right. And that will be next. That'll be next week's scintillating, sizzling <laughs> Charlotte Liverpool podcast. Until extra then. capers. Extra with extra capers. <laughs> Crammed with sizzling capers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait.